from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life. So glad you're here to join us in a conversation we have every week exploring all those things related to work and the rest of your life, your family, our community, our society, our fractured society, which needs all of us to contribute to its healing, and your private self, your distinctive qualities and health, mind, body, and spirit. I am your host, Stu Friedman. I'm founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and of our leadership program. And I run a company called Total Leadership, which is a management consulting and training organization. And you can find out much more about what Total Leadership is all about by visiting totalleadership.org. All kinds of free resources there and information about how we can help you. So check it out, totalleadership.org. You can hear new episodes of this show. They premiere Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time here on Sirius XM Channel 132. And then you can pick it up uh, after the week that it airs at workandlifepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, SXM Business, and I'm at Stu Friedman. I'm really excited about today's conversation. Do you ever have to consciously gear yourself up for a meeting with work colleagues because you're shy? Or are you the life of the party or any gathering? My guest today has done extensive research on the people that fall between the two extremes of introvert and extrovert, ambiverts. Now, if you're thinking that those people have the best of both worlds, you might be wrong. And in some cases, they struggle as much, if not more, than other people. And I'm going to be wondering, uh, as we speak to Carl Moore about his new book about ambiverts, what the pandemic and the social uh, awakening that is occurring throughout our country and our world, how it has perhaps changed what the landscape looks like for us, whether we're introvert, extrovert, or ambivert. Carl Moore is an associate professor on the management faculty at McGill University. Carl, welcome to Work and Life. A pleasure, Stu. I got to mention, I love your new book, Parents Who Lead. And also, in my MBA class at McGill, we have a CEO Insights class. 24 CEOs come for an hour and a half each for my 50, 60 students. But we use your book, Leading the Life You Want, and the students rave about it. <laughs> I just have to say that, Stu, because you, you've written some great stuff, and I really do appreciate it. Well, Carl, uh, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to know that those resources are useful to you and your students. Let me tell listeners a little bit more about you before we jump into the conversation. Prior to his academic career, Dr. Moore worked for 11 years in sales and marketing uh, management positions with IBM and Hitachi before uh, McGill, which is, of course, in Canada. He taught at Oxford University for five years. His scholarly publications include uh, over 28 refereed articles on 10 books and more than 3,500 Google Scholar citations. Stanford University Press has published his new book, we're all ambiverts now, and that's what we're going to be talking about. Since 2014, Carl has hosted the CEO series, which he has just mentioned, 
And uh, it's a weekly program on Bell Media's CJAD, where he interviews leaders one-on-one for an hour. Carl has been blogging for Forbes for eight years, and his interviews with CEOs have appeared in French Les Affaires for the past year and a half. Carl, it's great to have you here. Thanks again for taking the time. So the new book, We Are All Ambiverts Now, it's, it's a fascinating topic. Let me start out by asking you, as I just mentioned, you started out in the business world and then you transitioned to educating. You've lived, thought about, and taught all sorts of leadership issues. What inspired you to write a book about ambiverts? Well, I, I got Susan Cain's book, Quiet, sent mm-hmm. to me because I blog for Forbes. So I get free books, which is just a professor's uh, dream. Uh-huh. And I got the book. And I said to one of my undergrad students who organized a trip with me, and I knew her well, and she'd been an actress on Degrassi High, so a very intriguing young woman. I said, let's review the book Quiet for my Forbes blog. She and I wrote it, and I normally get about 6,000 views. It got 60,000, hmm. 10 times normal, and I had written it with her help. So it wasn't the writing, it was the subject. And so clearly this resonated. So the next night I have my CEO class. Where what resonated was the idea, Kane's idea of quiet and speaking to the introverts out there. And in a sense, giving them a, a way to, to accept their identity. What, what do you think it was that, that struck a chord in Kane's quiet? And then I want you to come back to the story of how that inspired you. I think what it was is that our traditional view of leaders and of more successful people is extroverts. Mm-hmm. And Susan herself, very much an introvert, wrote a great book. It's well-written. That's part of the secret of, of getting a book out there. But the idea that introverts are valuable was a central one that about half of humanity are introverts to some degree at least. So it really resonated with people. And Susan just struck a, I mean, it sold two and a half million copies, New York Times bestseller. It really resonated with people. There's some other books as well, but Susan's was the pivotal book, I think, that got people thinking about and looking at the evidence that introverts are valuable. So that's the the key insight that I think really the world got excited about. Mm -hmm. So how then did that lead you to ambiverts and your study and book about them? Well, so the next night in my CO class, I have two COs come uh, Wednesday night. So the first one was a guy named Claude Mongeau, a McGill MBA, ran 24,000 people at the Canadian National Railroad. I never asked anyone before, but I said, Claude, are you an introvert or extrovert? He said, I'm an introvert, and went on for about 10 minutes in a quiet way about being an introverted leader. And he told the story how he had a coach that five times a day he had to push a clicker like a, you know, a bouncer has in a bar, and he had to act like an extrovert five times a day. So, so that was a reminder, that device, that it was like a cue for him to try to extend himself beyond his introvert natural tendencies. Yeah, he had the five times a day was the goal, was to act like an extrovert. So an example he gave was in the morning, you get in the elevator, go up to the sixth floor where the office, the CEO is in downtown Montreal. And normally he'd look at his feet and save $100,000, which, you know, we're all happy he does. But as COO, who's to be the CEO, I've got to go, good morning, Stu. And say something you're not going to argue with, like, oh, it's a hot day or something you're not going to argue with. And say, Stu, great job last week in your presentation. I appreciate your hard work. You do great stuff. And get off the elevator. 
See, otherwise, and I work for IBM, and this is somewhat true, it's overstating it, but otherwise, if you, if you get on the elevator and you ignore me, I go, he hates me, my career's in trouble, I'm sending my resume to Canadian Pacific, I'm moving to Calgary. Now, that's an overstatement, but... Calgary. Just, well, that's, that's where CP is. Gotcha. So it's something where that is part of being a senior leader is to act like an extrovert is the point he made. So he had to learn to do that, but he's very much an introverted leader. The second CEO- Can you say what led him to that insight that he needed to shift from becoming, from being who he naturally was to something a little outside of who he had been? Like, was there, did he talk about like a a defining episode or a wake up call that led him to realize, oh, hmm, this isn't working as well as I, as I needed to. The chairman of the board Mm -hmm. just said, quote, love you, you're the COO, you're natural, but you need to adjust your behavior somewhat to be an effective CEO, but it's the nature of the role. So it's the nature of the role, so is that you've got to act like an extrovert at times and an introvert at other times. So what I'm arguing is that Introversion, extrovert, it's a bell curve, Stu. So mm-hmm. I'm an extreme extrovert, but most people are a bit extroverted, a bit, a bit introverted. Now, there's something called ambiverts in the middle. So the idea is saying that I have in my natural hard setting, my hard wiring is an extrovert. Mm-hmm. And there's some interesting research going, looking at four-month-old babies a number of years ago and founded, followed them throughout their life. So they look at their response to stimulation. And again, babies don't talk at four months old, at least not in Canada. Maybe down in Pennsylvania they do, but not in Canada. Now, and I, they, I've got a three-month-old who's living in our home now, and she's starting to smile and uh, make eye contact in a meaningful way, but no words yet. No words. So the idea is that you look at their response to stimulation, and it was a... My granddaughter, good, by the way. I well, I, yeah, I assume so. So I... They looked at the response of the baby, then followed them, and it was a good predictor whether they'd be more extroverted or introverted as an adult. So the idea is that it's somewhat hardwired that the brain of the extrovert is a bit different than the brain of the introvert and their response to stimulation. So the central construct around introversion and extroversion is your response to stimulation. Mm -hmm. So introverts like stimulation. They love people. But at a certain point, they tilt them and go, enough of that. I need to recharge by taking invert breaks, walking the dog, listening to Mozart and so on. So it's interesting. So extroverts find it stimulating, actually lights up their brain, that the dopamine levels go up and they like that. So they respond to that and seek it out. So is it a stimulation, the social stimulation, the, 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 the world out there beyond just ideas, but people, that's what, that's what fires up their, their brains and gets them to the level that they need to be at. Absolutely. So is there, uh, I read about introvert breaks, but there was nothing about extrovert breaks. So as an extrovert, I'm ticked off. How come introverts get breaks and extroverts don't? Is that because extroverts are quicker to anger than introverts? Uh, that might be, but uh, what, what, what I did is I said, there's nothing in the literature about extrovert breaks. Yes. And, and as academics, if you have like men do this, you go, well, do women. Like it's a natural, just look at the, if yes. introverts get breaks, do extroverts. And so I thought about it, wrote an article for the Warden Leadership Digest about extrovert breaks. Uh-huh. And I realized that after I sit in my office for two hours by myself, ironically writing about introverts, I can't take it anymore. Stuart, do you hear my pain? So 
I just can't take it anymore. Yeah. So I go, I go down one floor where there's an endless supply of undergraduates who I'm teaching and giving grades to, admittedly. Yes, this is pre-pandemic we're talking. Yeah, absolutely. So I go down there and I talk to people and I get my energy levels up so mm. I can go be by myself and write again. But the students know and they'll go, they'll tease me, extrovert break? But what it is is that I seek out the energy that I need to be happy. So what I'm saying is that you, all of us have a hard wiring that we've come to. Now it, it changes over age to some degree. It does? It depends on the context. Ah. We you tend mean? to calm down a bit as we get older, that we're less extroverted or less introverted. Now, partly that might mean maturity setting in. So as a husband and as a grandparent, around grade four or five, my wife teaches grade five, Stuart. So around grade four or five, you lose your name at school. You're no longer Carl, but you're Eric's father. And you go, if you get upset about that, you're immature. Because in that context, your son or daughter is more important than you are. So there's a certain amount of life that you got to, as you get older, you know, your, your spouse's work, she's more important than you are at that context. So if you try to dominate, people go, calm down, Stuart. It's... Mm -hmm her moment so there's a certain amount of age i never hear that carl that never happens to me but please continue <laughs> well you're not old enough yet evidently so it's something <laughs> it's something you don't hear too often but i'm kidding i hear it all the time yeah so it's something where what i'm arguing to be a senior leader now i've interviewed about 350 c-suite mm. executives mm -hmm. you have a natural hard wiring and it's a bell curve, but you're probably, you know, and about half are, so about 40% are introverts, 40% are extroverts, and about 20% are ambiverts. So regardless of your hardwiring, if you want to be a senior leader, you got to act like the other on occasion. All so right. As an let, me, let, me, let me pause there. and I'm, I'm going to let you uh, complete that thought, but I just want to remind listeners this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and my Guest today is Professor Carl Moore. We're talking about the research he's describing. He, we are talking about uh, that's going to be in his soon-to-be-published book, We're All Ambiverts Now. So, Carl, you were saying that we have the tendency to be one or the other, and we've got to act like the other to be a senior leader. Now, if you say, Carl, I can't do that, what I would argue is that you can't mm -hmm. be a senior leader. So that oh wow so it's a you're you're arguing that it's a a, a necessary condition to have some ambivert uh, capabilities. That's why the book is called "We're All Ambiverts Now." Okay, but we're not. So it's about forty percent are more introverted, forty percent more extroverted. About twenty percent, I think, are genuinely ambiverts. So the word ambivert was invented in the nineteen twenties in Toronto. So as a Canadian, I'm particularly proud of that but it largely disappeared from the literature until Adam Grant, one of your colleagues at Warden, about 10 years ago did a study of salespeople and he and his colleagues found that ambiverts were great salespeople. Hmm. Now an ambivert is someone that can act like an introvert at times and an extrovert at other times. So I had a new toy. So the next 20 executives I interviewed, I trotted out with some excitement this new term. Every single one said, Carl, I'm an ambivert. And statistically, wow. it just could not be true that 20 mm -hmm. in a row were all ambiverts. What I recognized is that executives at times, as an introvert, you have to 
act like an extrovert and work the room. You got to schmooze the crowd of your employees that you visit in LA and you've got to give an inspiring speech. So as an extrovert, as an introvert, I have to act like an extrovert to do my job well. Now, it's fair because as an extrovert, to be a good leader, I need to shut up and listen more and not dominate. Mm -hmm. So almost to a person, the CEOs that come to my class say when they go to a meeting where they genuinely want to have a conversation about strategies Stu, they don't go in and say their ideas. Because if they do, everybody goes, that's why you're boss. I love it. And that's what you do. You don't learn anything. What the CEO say to a person is when I go to a meeting where I want a real conversation, I go, hey, Stu, what do you think? Patty, what do you think? And I go around the room. Got to listen. Listening, which is hard for an extrovert, but it's a learned skill. At the end, the good news is, CEO, I get to say what we're going to do. So this is a happy thought. Mm-hmm. But my ideas are improved because I've learned from the room. Mm-hmm. So I, don't, I can't state my ideas, which is my natural hardwiring, because it's not going to get the task done. Right. So you really have to develop those uh, capabilities to go against, in some ways, your natural proclivities. That's, that's, what, you're, that's what you're observing here. Is that right? Absolutely. But so partly we do it in family life. You know, is that, you know, your kid becomes more important. You go to your spouse's work and he or she's the center of attention, not you. So you back off a bit. Um, you learn. So one of my students, uh, MBA student got married a couple years ago. So uh, she'd worked with me and knew her well, we were having lunch. And she said, Carl, I'm a huge introvert, and I'm going to be a bride. So one is you can elope. But a lot of times, my mom and dad are not going to go for that on, you know, and you have four parents involved. And sometimes not always, that's well, it sure. might be more than that these days. And you more know, or less, whatever. Yeah. So it's something where you have other people. And so now, if you have two huge introverts, maybe you would elope, might be the natural setting. But hmm. what it is, as the bride, you walk into the church or synagogue or mosque on the arm of your dad, typically your mom, and you're the center of attention. So she interviewed a, a bunch of uh, women who had got married. And this was her greatest fear. But every woman, it was quite charming, very romantic. They said, as they walked in with their mom or dad on their arm, and everybody rises in the church or synagogue, they only had eyes for their future husband. I mean, in five minutes, he's their husband. And mm-hmm. they only saw him and ignored everything else. So it's very charming, but they're just... So that's the introvert's uh, kind of coping uh, strategy in a, in a setting like that. Well, they just said it wasn't... Their greatest fear was that moment, but it turned out to be not an issue for the vast majority of women she interviewed because of the nature of it. But what I'm saying, life is going to require you, as you get older, if you have a family to calm down as an extrovert or as an introvert, you need to provide a bit of leadership. So that I think life calls for that. But I'm saying for senior leaders, you've got to learn those skills or you won't get to those positions because you'll be counseled to go, maybe you should stay and be that great engineer that invents new things to the world. Or maybe you should be the great physician that heals and don't become the chair of the department or the dean of medicine. Which might be a fine way to live your life and pursue your career, of course, right? Well, I, I interviewed the dean of medicine at Harvard. So he, he's, the, he's married to Amy Edmondson at the Harvard Business School. So I'm at the Thinkers 50 conference in London, and I sit beside, they sat me beside Amy, I know her. And she said, uh, Carl, would you like to meet my husband? I said, of course. And she said, very proud. 
says, he's the dean of medicine at Harvard. And so good wife, you know, my husband's a dean. So I interviewed him and it's something where he's an introvert, he said. And he learned to act like an expert. But when you look at it, there's one dean of medicine at Harvard. There's many, many professors and there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of great doctors who've come from Harvard. There's only one dean. So we don't need everyone to be these senior leaders. We only have one CEO and we have a, maybe 10 people, 12 in the C-suite. We need a lot of great engineers, a lot of great physicians who are simply making the world better. Right. So most, most people will pursue lives and careers that, that fit well with their natural tendencies in terms of their hardwiring and their personalities with respect to extroversion, introversion, right? That's it. Now, there's a couple things. One is you tend to become more, you, you get more towards the mean as you get older. So you, mm-hmm. you become a little less extroverted or less introverted because life teaches you that and it's the aging process. There's also a cultural overlay. So I went to school mm-hmm. in LA and Boston, so lived in the six years in the States, grew up in Toronto, lived in Montreal, and I lived five years in England. Mm-hmm. So I actually have three personalities. Now I'm not asking for psychological help here, but- Not offering. Well, when I go to uh, England, I get a British accent because mm-hmm. they made fun of me so much. And I become more sarcastic and I don't smile when I say funny things. So I become British because I live there long enough. <laughs> now, Canada is my natural setting. But when I go to New York mm-hmm. or Boston, I get noisier. What? What are you talking about? <laughs> I, I, I should be careful what I say, Stu, but I act a bit more American. I'm from Brooklyn, bit, in case you didn't know that. Well, a, big, a bit bigger personality. So it, it, the culture matters. But I took students to Tokyo, Bangkok, and Hong Kong. And my theory was, we have an MBA in Tokyo, so I've been there many times that the Japanese are more introverted as a culture uh-huh. versus the Thais. And now there's very extroverted Japanese, there's very introverted Thais, but on average, the culture in Thailand's more extroverted and in Japan more introverted, but yes, you have the I'll, same bell curve. I'll never forget uh, the work that I did in Thailand many years ago. We were at, with a group of executives and we're at this, uh, this retreat and uh, I hear singing coming from the halls and, and it's, it's a group of three or four of the executives in this uh, company and they're, you know, they're on their way to lunch and they're just singing together, just, you know, a song, a popular song, uh, which is something I'd never seen before. Um, testimony to the difference uh, in, in their, their extroversion. So to be, to be ascendant to a role where you really have to do both well um, requires a kind of um, uh, stretch for, for most people. So the, the first set of, of CEOs that you asked about, you know, are you introvert or extrovert or ambivert? And they all said yes to the you know, ambivert. I assume then you, you got into learning more about how they developed that because I, I imagine that for most people, it takes some conscious, deliberate, intentional act to train yourself to be different than who you are. Is, is that what you've observed? Yeah. I mean, they have coaches, they have mentors, they have managers that say to them, you've got to, you should 
to get to the next level, you need to act like this and you need to be a bit more outgoing mm-hmm. because be when you show up, uh, the big boss is coming in from town. If, if, if you're too quiet and you don't talk to people, they, they wonder if they're all right. It makes them nervous. You go, that, mm-hmm. that's a reasonable enough response. So can you turn it up a bit? But I'm not saying, look, be an extreme extrovert. I'm just saying, turn it up a bit. That's the point we're making. So they're looking for some flexibility, but within reason. And after you've acted a bit like an extrovert, take introvert breaks and recharge. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, realize that you're not going to really change your fundamental, you know, uh, wiring uh, and 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 uh, accommodate that or adjust to that. Take care of that. Don't don't ignore it, but uh, sort of build on it. Is, is that a, is that a useful way to put it or not? Oh, absolutely. That's exactly right, Stu. Because if you try to act too much unlike yourself, mm-hmm. you'll exhaust yourself, mm-hmm. and you won't be good as you would be if you played to your strengths to a large degree. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the central message is learn to act like the other, but realize who you are. And to a certain degree, nature made you that way. It's all right. Mm-hmm. So don't feel guilty about it. Just accept it, but realize that I need to show some flexibility because I'm going to be, I'm a leader mm. and I need to think about how do I serve the people that I'm there to be a servant leader of. And I guess that's uh, another reason why Susan Cain's quiet uh, was so profoundly popular because it really gave license to or authority for introverts to accept themselves as they are because of our bias, especially in the business world towards those who, uh, who, who, who display ext- extroversion. Uh, we're going to have to take a short break here, uh, Carl. And when we get back, I want to get into some more of the stories or advice you've got for people who might have this insight that they need to stretch, shift, adjust, develop amber version as 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 their operating style, but are struggling with how to do that. I know you've got a lot of wisdom on that. So let's pick it up there when we come back. Um, Stay tuned, folks. We'll just take a couple of seconds here to break. And when we come back, I'll be continuing my conversation with Professor Carl Moore. I'm Stu Friedman. This is Work in Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Work in Life on Business Radio. Welcome back to Work and Life. So glad you're here. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I am the founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project, the Wharton Leadership Program, and I run an organization called Total Leadership, about which you can find out lots more at totalleadership.org. My guest today is Carl Moore. He's an associate professor at uh, the Desautel Faculty of Management at McGill University. We're talking about his research on ambiverts, those people who are introverted and extroverted. They're able to, well, go in both directions when they need to. You can read all about it soon in his forthcoming book, We Are All Ambiverts Now. So Carl, Carl, tell us about the the title, We Are All Ambiverts Now. What is it about this moment that uh, compels uh, attention to this idea? Well, something where we're rethinking the traditional model of leadership years ago that I grew up with was extroverted, probably largely male, where we see that, again, women are much more leaders. We see that very much. 
but we're also coming to see, and, and probably thanks to Susan King's book, Quiet, is that we actually need those introvert people because of the strengths they bring to the table. That we need people to balance off the extroverts. So as a very much as an extrovert, I love to have introverts on my team and I love to work for an introvert because it, it balances my weaknesses and brings real strengths to the table. So I think we're saying what they have we need in today's world and we're not worried about extroverts being leaders. That's something that will continue to be, but it's that bringing the two together makes us better as a group and as a team. All right. So, um, as you're listening to this, I'm wondering, you might be thinking, well, I'm a natural introvert or I'm a natural extrovert. And yeah, that makes sense. I need to be more comfortable being more of an extrovert or being more of an introvert. What do I do now, professor? So Carl, what advice do you have for people wondering, yeah, okay, this makes sense. How do I, how do, what steps can I take to develop more uh, flexibility in terms of my, my, my style? Practice, practice, practice is what you need to do, Stu, is that you need to recognize that as an extrovert that I tend to dominate. I'm the center of attention. Maybe that's why I'm a professor, but I do things which are counter helpful at times. So, for example, when you think about the idea of strategy, we have Mintzberg, who I work with, Miguel Nair's uh, Porter at Harvard. So you have deliberate strategy from Porter, the three forces, the five forces, the three generic strategies, things like that, which we still teach. But Mintzberg, of idea of emergent strategy, is one where you go, I think it's particularly uh, relevant during the COVID crisis, is we don't know what the strategy should be coming out of the crisis at one level. Airlines are going, how do we get more people on planes? So they've, part of emergent strategy is you listen to younger people who are frontline troops. They're actually out there in a turbulent environment and they understand a turbulent environment more than the older people who run things. So the older people have got to spend more time listening to Generation Z and millennials and to see what's happening. So when I talked to um, one of my former students was the uh, president of Doctors Without Borders until very recently, and she had to listen to people on the front line to learn about where do we go forward? How does our strategy occur? Now, she still makes a strategy but you got to listen more, which is introverted behavior. So she's a big introvert and that makes it easier for her to listen. It's more challenging for me as an extrovert, but I recognize if I want to develop better strategies, particularly coming out of the COVID crisis, I need to listen more. So as a hard nosed capitalist, I need to be more introverted and listen more to do my job well. So as an extrovert, I recognize that, that, I need to have other people the center of attention, not just myself. So I need to pull back and act less extroverted. And so to, to do that requires, uh, again, a kind of deliberate intention to, to make change happen. And when you say practice, how do you maintain that, you know, the will to persist in trying to create a change of the sort that you're talking about um, when, you know, the, the natural sort of default is, is, to, is to not change. Do you have any advice on that? So I think you're right. It's a tough thing. It's challenging, but it's the nature of, if you want to get to the next level, the next job, mm -hmm. and I'm doing some work with McKinsey about fathers who stay home for more than two months. I've been working with a bunch of McKinsey people to get to the partner level at McKinsey. 
you need to grow in certain areas. Mm -hmm. You need to overcome some weaknesses, but mainly focus on your strengths. But you need to grow a bit in order to be at the partner level at McKinsey, which is, which is fair enough. So I think to get to the next level, but I think if you understand intellectually, to get better strategies, I need to listen. But as an introvert to go, I need to go and learn to schmooze and work the room. Mm -hmm. I can learn how to do that. But if I recognize it's tiring, and after I've done it, go take introvert breaks to recharge, it's very helpful to recognize that this is going to be tough for you, but reward yourself. So yeah. you have those introvert breaks. Mm -hmm. um, and I replenish. reward myself. Replenish yourself too. It's not just reward and reinforcement, but also just to kind of uh, take care of uh, your, yourself so that you can sustain the effort. You were about to say you reward yourself. Was an extrovert. Oh. So Saturday nights, my wife is a grade five teacher and our daughter's studying education, be elementary teacher at the University of Montréal. So sometimes Saturday night, they're studying together and it's in French. So I'm particularly not helpful, but my wife has four degrees in education, it's the best tutor and she's mom. So I go and take extrovert breaks by walking around our neighborhood where there's a bunch of restaurants. And so I have a game. How many of the restaurants can I go into? And there's people I know where there are guys I play hockey with or something, right? So I might tap on the shoulder and it being Quebec, women that I can kiss on both cheeks, which is much more common here than it would be in Toronto. Mm -hmm. But it's something where, is there people I know? And my, my record was 80%, eight out of 10 restaurants. But that's my extrovert break. And I give myself that reward and I need it. I would right. go, nut, I'd go nuts if I don't do it. How are you coping then in this pandemic time when you're not able to do the very thing that you just described as your extrovert break by walking around uh, and checking how many restaurants you can go into where you know people and people know your name, sort of like the old Cheers show on, uh, on TV. Hey, Norm, there he is. Uh, the great extrovert that everybody loved. How, how are you coping uh, in these times when you're perhaps socially connected, but physically distanced? It's getting better, but I wrote a Forbes blog piece uh, about a month into with one of my former students who's an extrovert, lives in New York, works for BCG. And we were just commiserating how tough it was. Mm -hmm. and, and Zoom is great, but it's not the same as being there in person for the extrovert. And it was tough. Now, What's I wrote missing? another... I wrote, let, let me ask, what, what's missing in the, in the Zoom experience that, that the extrovert is not getting enough of? Well, there's some research out of INSEA that suggests that, it's, it, I mean, it is one, two-dimensional opposed to three, and I get more energy from being with you. If I was up there in your room, we were having a chat, I'd get more energy from it mm -hmm. because the nature of the three dimensions and, and seeing your reaction and it's, it's also that to look like I'm looking you in the eye, I'm looking in the camera above my screen. Mm -hmm. But to look you in the eye, I appear not to be looking at you. So as a good actor, I look at the camera, but then I don't see you. And I don't pick up the, the signals you're sending to me, which is what I want as an extrovert. I know. I work really hard to get the image of the person I'm speaking to right under the camera. So it's as close as I can. It's as close as I can get to being looking in the camera and seeing the person, but it, it, that does cause strain. Yeah, it, and it takes, I think it takes about a third more energy to do a Zoom meeting than in the real life, maybe 40% even. So I wrote, and then I wrote one with Henry Mintzberg's, one of his two daughters, 
who Lisa lives in England is a big introvert. So I wrote a piece about houses for introverts and, and one of them, she says, I'm loving it. Houses, but it's not, houses for introverts. Is that the title? It's great for introverts. She said the uh-huh. lockdown, it's not so bad because I stay at home. I avoid people I don't want to talk to and strangers aren't talking to me. This sounds like an introvert's dream. <laughs> and it is somewhat, but she said it wasn't all good, but with, now what I'm doing is going for socially distanced walks with friends and alumni. So we'll go for an hour walk, you know, like six feet, seven feet apart. Let's and, say 10. Let's say 10. Okay, 10. Well, I was thinking, I was translating from meters to feet, so I didn't right. do it as well as I could have. But I, so, I'm, I'm conservative on this and, and recommend 10 feet apart and make sure you're wearing a mask. So something where you, but it helps to have that more human contact. But the beginning days were tough absolutely for the extrovert it's getting easier to get out there mm-hmm. and on the other hand it was extraordinarily productive because i'm doing this research on fathers at home with mckenzie every dad was at home and i could see the next day on zoom and all the mothers were home except for a couple who are physicians were at the hospital so it was very easy to do my research interviews and this is once in my long research career where it's been very easy to get a hold of people so it's worked out well but I'm so relieved to be able to go out and see people. And restaurants mm-hmm. in Montreal open on Monday where you can actually sit in a restaurant, albeit the, the next table's 12 feet away and, you know, it's socially distanced. So it's getting better, but it was really tough in the early days of the lockdown. And I think if I was a single guy, like with a family, you have people to talk, so it helps. Yeah. Well, uh let me just remind listeners, this is Work and Life. So glad you're listening. We're on Sirius XM 132 on Business Radio. I am your host, Stu Friedman, and I'm speaking with Professor Carl Moore of McGill University about his research and his forthcoming book. We're all ambiverts now, uh, and we're talking about the challenges uh, for both introverts and extroverts to stretching beyond their natural tendencies and what that's been like, especially in our uh, lockdown times, which uh, this is being recorded uh, in the last part of June 2020, uh, you just mentioned, Carl, that you're doing work on uh, fathers at home uh, for McKinsey. Can you just give us a little snapshot about what that research is about and how that fits with your ambivert stuff? Well, it's interesting that it started about four months ago, and I've done about 140 interviews. Um, we're looking at this idea of saying that if dads stay home for uh, more extended times with their newborns and and quite a few of them stay home by themselves where Mm -hmm. mom goes back to work. And Mm -hmm. so what it is, is that it was great for the dad to build a relationship with the child. Now we don't know that's the theory, but they said, I know my child better. It's great for the couple's relationship because the father more understands how the household is run, is more engaged in it, is more apt to do his fair share of domestic tasks. Okay. So it's good for the whole family. It also signals that mom and dad are in it together, and it's not just mom. Now, mom gives birth and breastfeed, so there's, there's a mom part, which is uniquely hers. But if dad really leans in, and in fact, it was probably being alone with the, the newborn was for a couple months really helped change the roles in the household. Mm-hmm. 
And it was interesting because I asked every woman, well, I was thought I just talked to fathers. So the first one I interviewed, I asked him about how much uh, do you help around the house? And I heard uh, a female chuckle. So I thought that's his wife. And, you know, I'm sure your wife would chuckle if you, you know, when you said I do the dishes all the time, she'd go, honey, no, you don't. But it's something I, I, where, I would not claim that I do them all the time, but I do a lot of dishes, but please continue. So I, I said, can I talk to your wife? And almost all of them were there. And it was great to get the woman's perspective on it. Of course. And the last question I asked was very charming. I asked every woman, I said, and these are all women with a lot of education. Some of them ex-McKinsey really, you know, great, very capable women. I said, is there anything bad about dad being home for a few months? And they all would look up to the left, think about it for five or 10 seconds. I wouldn't interrupt. And they look me in the eye and go, nothing bad at all. Like it was to a woman, they said oh, wow. the same kind of reaction of it's all good. But they thought about it. It wasn't just, you know, off the top, but generally thought about it. So, but we also talked about being introvert and extrovert because yeah. I'm doing that research and I've got a captive audience that we're already talking for half hours. So when I have my CEO class on my radio show, I also ask them if they're introvert or extrovert. So I have access to part of doing CEO research is getting access. But by having a class and a radio show, and the radio show came out of the class, I get access. But it's funny, but some of my MBA students, they know I'm going to ask. So they'll ask the question about being an introvert or expert, and they'll just look at me and grin, because it's my question, but I don't care. I just want to hear various people talk about their experience as senior CEOs, how they handle it. Now, it also applies. So I interviewed Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, who he graduated from McGill just before I came, but I got to know him when he was a young man. And uh, his wife, Sophie, was a personal shopper at Holt Renfrew, a high-end department store. So I know them a bit. And um, I interviewed him and I said, Justin, are you an introvert or extrovert? And he said, I'm an introvert. And I rolled my eyes. I know him well enough, I can tease him. And honestly, it was like, give me a break. You're the most photographed prime minister in the world without a shirt on. Now, partly he's young and he can, most prime ministers should leave their shirts on, definitely. But he's a very good, handsome man. But Beautiful said, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what it is, is he said, to be the prime minister, I have to act like an extrovert. And his father was a prime minister. So he knew this mm-hmm. because he grew up with his dad as a prime minister. But he recognized that he's an introvert and he loves that quiet time. But he is the prime minister. Therefore, he's got to act a certain way. And I, the other, I interviewed Mohammed Yunus, Nobel Peace Prize winner for microcredit. And I was at a hotel and he had three or four of his staff there. And I said to him, Muhammad, are you an introvert or extrovert? And they laughed, the four staff, at the foolishness of the question. He's a huge introvert. But I said, Muhammad, I've seen you, he gets to Montreal once or twice a year, give speeches to thousands of people and to work the room. Mm-hmm. And he said, Carl, I'm an introvert, but I'm helping millions of the poorest women and children on earth. How could I not? And you go, now that is a fine person. He recognized, it appears having a Nobel Prize is really useful, Stu. You and I will never know, but it's very useful. And it gives you a platform. But both of them recognized to do what they were, their opportunities that they had, they had to come and act like an extrovert in order to be effective. So how did this then play out in your uh, stay-at-home father's uh, research, the, the theme of, of ambiversion? Well, they were, you know, I, I talked to 
140 people. So it was a, the normal bell curve. It's a big enough sample you, you would approach a bell curve where some were very extroverted, others were more introverted, but most people are a bit extroverted or introverted. But when I teach this, I, I was teaching on Stanford MBA. I don't know if I'm allowed to mention that being a Wharton thing, but um, the other day, and when you look at it, I said to them, if you have a hammer, everything's a nail. And so looking at my back window, there's a fence I rebuilt uh, last year. So I, I was putting a screw in with a hammer. And one of my elderly neighbors comes by and goes, Carl, that's wrong. And it's kind of like I'm offending the screw somehow. But the point was a fair one. If you put a, a screw is better than a nail to fasten wood together, but you need a screwdriver to put it in. A hammer yes. is the wrong tool. That's so when I think, true. When I think about it, I could, you know, you're a boomer, you're a man, you're a professor, you're an extrovert. But if I asked your wife, your kids, they'd go, Stu is much more complex than those three descriptors. They're true. So when I talk about introversion and extrovert, I have to say to people, it's only one way to look at people. And what you need to do is put on another hat. Oh, that was literal rather than metaphor. I, I, I can see it because we're recording <laughs> this on Zoom. Of course, listeners won't see it since they're only hearing our conversation. But there is a McGill hat to replace the C-Series hat. Yeah. I, so I get it. So I, I'm looking at you and go, okay, yeah. when, I, when people work for me, it's nice that they're introverts or extroverts, but that's only part of them. And don't overdo it. Yeah, don't yeah. get carried away. Use other lenses to really understand them because of the complexity of human beings, but it's a useful way. But the interesting things, when you think about diversity, we rightly talk about race and gender because of discrimination. And that's a big issue in, in Canada and the US right now, Black Lives Matter and, and making sure that we have senior women leaders more and more. But the thing is that I can't look at you and go, are you an introvert or extrovert? I actually have to get to know you mm -hmm. as a human being before I can make that judgment. And so I'm trying to add that to the diversity argument because it's something where I'm not going to just judge you. I have to get to know you. And I think as a manager and a leader, getting to know people is a central task of today's leaders, mm -hmm. where it's about empathy, it's about authenticity, and it's about a real connection with people. And part of that is getting to know Stu and understanding him beyond just the surface things. So... If, if empathy is the great quality of the leader today, let's just take that as an assumption. Uh, what does an introvert need to do to develop more of it? What does an extrovert need to do to develop more of it? And see if you can tackle that one in less than a minute because we've got only a couple left. That's a great question. I'm not entirely sure. I think introverts are more apt to be empathetic more naturally because mm -hmm. they're better listeners. They like to think before they make judgments. So I think they're more empathetic where the extroverts got to calm down, listen more, and not jump to conclusions. But we look at it, there's a famous saying, paralysis by analysis. That's the weakness or one of the weaknesses of an introvert. They like to connect the dots, but they wait too long. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, I have a proclivity to action, which is very useful, but also gets me into trouble. So both have strengths, but they also have some weaknesses you got to be careful about. I gave a talk to Harvard Business School where their thing is cases, and it tends to favor the extrovert. I remember being at Harvard, I put my hand up with not knowing what I was going to say necessarily, 
but I was confident I would say something reasonably clever. When introvert is horrified by that idea, they would never put their hand up unless they thought it through. Both of us have great strengths and occasional weaknesses we've got to be aware of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's your core message, right? That uh, being aware of your your tendencies and doing what you can to adjust uh, at the margins so that you can become more complete uh, as as a leader, whether that's at home or at work. Um, in in just thirty seconds, uh, what's what's the big idea that you take away from the research on the fathers at home uh, that that would be useful for listeners to know? in advance of the publication? We're trying to encourage companies and governments to provide parental leave for men. Mm -hmm. And it's a woman's issue in many ways. It's mm -hmm. funny the team is all women but me. Mm -hmm. But it's a woman's issue because it makes the woman, the mother, the partner, much more, she has a better, richer life, better support, and it's better for the children because they have more time from dad, not just from mom, but it's interesting because, you know, I asked them and they said, do your kids still see mom and dad as different? And they said they do. And so the feminists are going, I'm a bit irritated by this, because I thought we'd be exactly alike. Even though we're equal, we're still a bit different to the kids and there's mom and dad. And that's fine. But it's something where it just seems to be all good when dads get to spend more time with their young kids. But we need corporations or governments like Iceland, but corporations, mainly in the U.S. and Canada, to support parental leave for dads. Couldn't agree more, Carl, and that's a fine note for us to close on. Uh, Carl Moore, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Where can listeners learn more about your book and all the great work you're doing? Probably my Forbes blog. So just put in Forbes and Carl with a K, Moore, M-O-O-R-E. I have an odd spelled name, which you do as well, so it makes it easier to find me. If your name is Joe Smith, you're in trouble, I guess. But Carl with a K, M-O-O-R-E and Forbes, you'll come up with my blog with lots of stuff there. Fantastic. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today, Carl. My pleasure. And thanks again for the books. I use them in my class. Keep the good work up, student. Much appreciated, Carl. And thank you for listening today. Uh, to our show. Please don't forget to jo join us next week, again, 5 p.m. Eastern on Thursday, uh, when we premiere the show every week. If you have a question about something you heard on the show today, you can email me. I'm friedman at wharton.upenn.edu. You can go to our station at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. You can follow on Twitter, SXM Business. I'm at Stu Friedman, and you can learn a lot more about what we do at Total Leadership by simply going to totalleadership.org. Lots of free resources, videos, chapters from my books, and a description of all the things that we do to help organizations find a greater sense of harmony and improved performance in all the different parts of life. Thanks to Patty Hall and Dion Simpkins for making the show work as they do all the time. Really appreciate what you do. I am Stu Friedman. You've been listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132.